And over that time, he has quite a clog to deal with. There's a growing group of Jews, and they've heard something very bad. They've heard that Paul is against Judaism. They've heard that Paul is against the law. They've heard that Paul is against God. Because he's talking about this Jesus fellow. So what's Paul going to do? What would you do if you were in that situation? Well, today in Acts 21, Paul's actually going to put himself in great danger to unclog the lies. And friends, Paul will do this not simply to clear his own name, because I confess, I might be generally motivated to do it for that reason. But Paul's primary motivation, we'll see, is that so the gospel can go through. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to see the glorious reward that he gets for his hard work. And then we're going to talk about us. So let me start by reading Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 26. Okay. When we, that's Paul and his associates, had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you then and uh, pay for their expenses. Or Do therefore what they tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may all shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men... And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So the first thing that the author Luke is telling us here is that we must work to make a clear path for the gospel. So what happens is Paul finally reaches Jerusalem after this journey And we've been walking through that journey for quite a while. And he finds his people and he shares what God has done. If it's not clear by that, he's pretty happy about the spread of the gospel. But consider the elders' response in verse 20. There's this conflict. Yes, many Jews have heard good things, but they have also heard other things. Verse 21, Paul's against Moses and circumcision and Jewish customs. 
So basically they've heard Paul is against Judaism. And since all these customs were given by God, then Paul must be against God too. So here's the conflict that we have. How are they going to believe gospel truth with such a clog of lies? How's that going to get through and stick? Now, first, just let me tell you, if you haven't been coming here for very long, Paul is no stranger to rumors. In fact, if you've read your New Testament, Paul has written many other letters that often among Christians there may be divided opinions on. In fact, that has followed him to today. There, there's even a surprising amount of professing Christians today who don't trust Paul. Have you heard that one? I mean, I have close friends who 15 years ago, they surprised me with this statement. They said, Paul hates women because he says they aren't allowed to preach in that one verse. Have you heard that verse? That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Now, if you believe that Paul hated women, wouldn't you struggle with the majority of the New Testament, which Paul wrote? And even beyond that, you might be tempted to take a guy like Paul and to pit him against Jesus. You know, the other guy in the New Testament. (laughs) Now, to be fair, that's true of much of life. What can happen there? In fact, this might have happened to you before. It's not uncommon for people to just hear things repeated loudly And you don't fact check, you just kind of go with it. And before you know it, you're standing very firmly on a very bad foundation. But fortunately, here in Acts, the author Luke has already addressed every one of these rumors against Paul. The case has already been cleared. Now, As far as 1 Timothy 2.12, I can't untangle every false rumor about Paul this morning, but by God's grace, I'd like to untangle the lies about Paul in Acts 21. So that's what we're going to do. First, the charge that he is against circumcision. In Acts chapter 16, verse 3, Paul himself circumcised his protege Timothy in order to demonstrate respect for the Jews who were present there in the surrounding areas. And this is mostly because Timothy had a non-Jewish father. Now, Peter preached on that text, and he summed up Paul's motives really well. Paul is content to sacrifice anything but the gospel. So he really wants to clear a path for his Jewish audience so the gospel can flow through. So Paul is not against circumcision. He might not view it as important as they do, but he's not against it. Second, in terms of Paul hating Jewish customs and Moses, Paul's actually gone out of his way to honor the festivals and customs of Judaism many of which were started by Moses. In fact, in chapter 21, I preached on that. Even while death threats were coming Paul's way, Paul took the time to observe Passover and the days of unleavened bread. Even Paul's journey to Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 21 
was for the observance of the day of Pentecost, which was when Moses gave the law to Israel. These are all Jewish customs, and Paul has kept all of them. So he's not against that either. Here's the point. What they have heard is false. And we have to be sure of that moving forward. Paul is innocent and there's this big clog and it doesn't belong there. But it's there. So what's next? What would you do if you're in that scenario? Well, what the elders do, the guys that are with Paul and receive him, they make a suggestion in verses 24 and 25. And I'm going to sum it up. They advise Paul to partake in an elaborate purification process in the Jewish temple. It's like a very long, very public, very expensive washing ceremony, except Paul's not dirty. And if Paul's not dirty, why do this? And first, what is this purification even about? Well, it's actually a callback to Numbers chapter 6. Now we're in deep Jewish territory, and I'm going to sum that up. Numbers 6 explains something called the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was taking somebody and setting them apart specially for God. It was a sacred Jewish vow. And guess what? In Acts chapter 18, verse 18, Paul took the vow. He took it right after he circumcised Timothy. Now this vow is such a high calling that it came with elaborate purifications when needed and that's in Numbers chapter 6 verses 9 through 12 where Moses himself explains what you have to do or rather when this purification is required. And here's when it's required. You ready? When the person under the vow has touched a dead body. If you're scratching your head, so am I. There's no evidence Paul's done that either. All this seems so unnecessary. And given that, back to Acts 21, Paul accepts their advice and he goes for it. What? I thought back in the previous chapters, he's like, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Is Paul compromising here? I don't think Paul is caving to peer pressure, either from the elders or from this mob. Here's what I think is happening based on the Paul we've been reading about. Paul simply wants to go above and beyond to make absolutely sure that the Jews see this, see the process, then consider what they've heard about him and put that together, compare that with the real thing. And wait a minute. Paul's not only a faithful Jew, but he's under a Nazarite vow. And he's clean. In other words, Paul wants to unclog these lies so that the gospel can get through. And for this particular audience, that's how you get the clog out. 
at least it's a good first attempt. I mean, when you got a mob, what else are you going to do? That's what this mission is all about. And Paul really, really wants it to succeed. He gives time and money and effort so that it will succeed. So how does this apply to our mission? Because I don't see many people with shaved heads, except for me. (laughs) Well, let's think internally first. Let's think about unclogging. When it comes to trusting guys like Paul, or when it comes to fully trusting everything that Jesus has said, are you clogged? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you know about that verse in 1 Timothy? And you kind of secretly don't like Paul. Or maybe you wish he wouldn't have said that. Do you think he's a misogynist? Maybe even a little? Maybe he's just old-fashioned? Consider... If you believe that, or even if you're tempted to believe that, how much that might impact the way you read what he wrote. I need you to consider that. And now, I'd like you to think about Jesus. Because false words about him persist to this day, don't they? You may have heard, Jesus is just a good teacher. Or, if you pray a certain way, Jesus will heal you. Or, Jesus wants you to pick up your shotgun and take America back from the liberals. (laughs) Or, just so you know, I'm not on one side. Jesus is love and he accepts Everybody from any religion. Have you heard those? Have any of them sunk in? The truth is, we all might be a little bit clogged when it comes to Jesus. And some of us might be a lot clogged. Friends, unclog the lies. You have to do that first. Here's one way you can do it. You take those hot button verses like 1 Timothy 2.12. Read the whole letter. You take that one chapter about Jesus that you like and you ignore the other ones. Read the whole book. Or you just read Psalms because they're nice. And you skip over Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Go back and read the whole thing. Or, talk to an elder. Or, start a Bible study in that book in which you have a clog. And invite other people. And get good commentaries and pray. Do this if there are tangles and clogs because they are worse than you think. If you think they're this big, they might be a lot bigger. They hinder the truth of the gospel from truly 
hitting our hearts. The water won't get through. And you can dump all the good water you want on top of those lies, but unless they're gone, that clog will not get out. You have to remove it. This will cost time, this will cost effort, and this will cost money, just like Paul, and it's going to be worth it. Now, let's apply this externally. These verses actually show us how to clear the path for the gospel when it comes to other people, not just our own hearts. Look at Paul. He considers his Jewish audience and what would build trust with them, so he travels and he works and he participates in costly, lengthy ceremonies because he really wants the lies gone. So here's... Here's maybe one way you could do that when it comes to other people. It's a personal story. It takes place about 13 years ago when, I'm just going to pick an issue, gay rights and gay marriage were really picking up a lot of vocal support in the media and it became a hot issue on every side. And so me and a bunch of Christians went to the LGBT group on campus and we got to know them. <laughs> we made the first move towards them. And we sought to understand what they believed and why they believed it. And what they knew about Christianity, spoiler, most of them came from Christian households. And by God's grace, the clog got a little bit smaller. Did it get all the way unclogged? Not really. But let me compare that to what would have happened, you think, if, if, in, if we would have instead stood far off with signs yelling at them to repent lest ye perish. I don't know why I had to say it in KJV. I don't know why. Now here's what I'm saying. That truth is true. But would it get through? No. You think if I yell at somebody, they're going to be like, oh, nobody's ever done that before. Thank you. You got to unclog first. Make the first move. Don't just lurk on social media and launch gospel missiles at people. With skeptics and atheists and strange relatives understand what the clog is. Understand it. Will it be hard work? Absolutely. Will it cost you time and money? Yeah. That's what Paul is doing and that's what Jesus did when he came down here. So, say you do that all this hard labor, I don't know about you, especially as you get older, let's talk return on investment. Does this approach work? Because especially for Paul here, it costs a lot. Let's see how it pays off for him. I'm going to read verses 27 through 36. When the seven days were almost completed... The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, 
stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Man of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Wow. How's the return on investment? The second thing Luke is telling us here is to not be discouraged when your work seems worthless. I choose that word very carefully. Because if I were Paul after that, after all that work I did, the travel, the time, the money, the payment for the sacrifices, the purification process, I would wonder why I bothered. Because it all went well at first, but as it's concluding, here come these people these Jewish troublemakers from Asia, that is, these are the Jews from Antioch and Iconium back in chapter 14. They had been responsible for threatening and stoning Paul nearly to death. Do you remember that story? Now they're back. And friends, they are likely the source of all the clogs that I just talked about. And now after all the work by Paul to build a bridge to get these pipes unclogged, these guys show up and look at what they're saying. Look at their claims. Exactly what the elders predicted, and even worse. They claim that Paul is on a massive disinformation campaign, and he's against everyone, everywhere, and against all Jewish law, and against the temple. And of course, that means he must be against God. They even throw in a bonus accusation in verse 29. That Paul has defiled the temple because they supposed, they supposed one of his Ephesian friends had wandered in. Now, there's no evidence that happened. 
And I would argue that if Paul were careful enough after that journey to take a vow and observe a seven-day purification process, he would have avoided the obvious 101 offense of Gentile trespassing in the temple. But here we are. While the desired effect of this ceremony was to put to death the lies about Paul, instead, Paul faces death as a liar. Do you get that? In verse 31, they shut the gates and they are seeking to kill him. Could you imagine being Paul? This would be absolutely terrifying. And the city's in confusion and the tribunes and soldiers. And Paul is arrested. And consider verse 34. It is so wild that the judge, so to speak, can't even gather the facts. In other words, he can't hear anything. So here's our glorious resolution. People have heard lies about Paul. Paul attempts to unclog the lies, but instead of cleared pipes, we have a mess. We have a mess. So what does all this show us about Paul? Paul is an innocent man. I hope that's clear. But here's another thing. Here's what this teaches us. He made the right move here, even if it seemed worthless. And the most compelling evidence for this conclusion is to compare Paul to the man he's proclaiming, Jesus. What led to Jesus' arrest back in Luke? Lies about Jesus. People heard things like, he hates the government. He hates the law. He hates God. And the Bible calls Jesus the word, it's in John, and yet what put him in chains were false words. And no matter what he said, Jesus, or no matter what he didn't say, the crowd and the religious leaders, they heard what they wanted to hear and they shut their ears to the truth. The clog persisted. But what's amazing about his seemingly pointless, unjust death is that just like Paul, this is the exact path Jesus willingly walked. Because everybody was telling Paul a few chapters ago, don't do it, Paul. And he did it. And what did Peter tell Jesus? Far be it for you to be killed. Jesus thankfully did it anyway. This is how the gospel went through and this is how the gospel continues to go through. So how does this apply? Don't be discouraged when your work seems worthless. Say you take my advice and you make an attempt to visit the LGBT club on your campus. 
Or you try to reach a Muslim in your neighborhood. You try to go to a mosque. Or you try to reach out to a stubborn relative. And you even do it just like point one. I did it the way you said, Dan. I sought to understand them. I listened. I prayed for years. But the clog doesn't leave and they reject you. Friends, they rejected Jesus first. But it didn't mean the work was for nothing. In Jesus' case, that's how people's eyes were opened and the lies were untangled. He died. Remember the Roman centurion? It's also in Luke. It took Jesus' death for the centurion to look up and say, surely this man was innocent. That's what it took. Jesus went first at great cost. The cost of his own life, the path to dead men's hearts were finally cleared for the gospel. One of my favorite examples of this, also from the book of Acts, is a guy named Stephen. You remember him in Acts chapter 7? He died preaching and it was just like this. He died not with a, not the way you and I would like to die. He died not with a flourishing church family and saved relatives standing by his bedside as he died old and happy. That didn't happen. He died with a mob throwing rocks and shouting at him. But guess what happened because of Stephen's faithfulness? The gospel spread to the Samaritans, and not only that, the overseeing executioner of Stephen, Paul himself, became a Christian. That's how Paul got here. Somebody went first. Despite Paul's own misinformation about Jesus, despite his own tangled mess of a life that had him persecuting men like Stephen and thinking he was doing God's work, the clog was cleared and the truth of Jesus finally one day flowed through him. And there's a hidden energizing truth there and a final small application for the Christian. There's no lie so big that Jesus can't unclog it because he took care of Paul. So Christian, trust the process of moving forward in the good, good service of untangling lies. Maybe it not only costs you a lot of time and money, but maybe your life, like Stephen, will be on the line someday. Maybe you even end up like Paul here. You might look like a fool to the world, but all you're doing is looking more and more like Jesus. Final application, if you do not yet trust Jesus, 
Or maybe you just realized today that you're a little more clogged than you thought. Or if you're just not sure at all. I'm just going to leave you with this short application. Consider the mob. Consider the alternative. Consider the confusion and the violence and the death caused by following loud rumors. Because to the world, this is being on the right side of history. Is that really such a good payoff? Is that really what you want to bank your life on? What a bunch of people are saying loudly? Public perception is a hopeless pursuit. Because even if you're with the mob, there's a good chance that it will bend and twist in such a way that one day they'll come after you too. So I'm inviting you to investigate Christianity. Investigate it. And investigate it humbly. Maybe you've been hurt by some lies. But I want you to admit the possibility of tangles and clogs in your own heart. Because Jesus offers you so much more. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth, but I thank you even more, perhaps, for the fact that we get to untangle lies first. For the fact that we get to tear down old foundations. And Lord, some of us here might have built our Christianity on top of some clogs. And things get a little shaky from time to time. Lord, that happens and we know that. This world is a broken place. And all of us at least have a few small tangles. Lord, I ask that you would help us to humbly seek your word and understand it in context and that we would lovingly, lovingly serve the people around us, not simply to conform to the mob, but with the truth of Jesus. We seek to untangle the lies so that the gospel can get through. Lord, help us to do this. Amen.